Now, y'all, I'm sorry, I'm already losing my voice this morning. Uh, we're in the midst of, uh, and actually beginning to wind down our Pastor's Pen series. And so I've taken this quite literally, and I've uh, usually I write my notes on a device, but I'm doing it the old-fashioned way with paper. And so uh, during this time, we've been focusing on foundational things, the most important things. Because we believe we have a promise from the Lord over our house that as we draw into the fall season, that we will not just in the natural, but in the spirit, we, will, we are entering into a harvest season. I don't know about y'all, but I get excited when we start thinking about harvest. How many know that Jesus himself said that there's a great harvest out there for the taken? The problem is people who are willing to believe and to serve and to love, people who will go and get the harvest and bring it in. And so I'm so grateful and so thankful to be the pastor of the Gate Church because I know that you all are ready, willing, and able to help us bring in and to gather the harvest that the Lord has for us. And if I may just define that harvest, that's not just things like resources, that's primarily people. We're believing the, the harvest of the world is souls that are lost, people that are broken and cracked and fractured, and that the Lord wants to gather them and heal them. I ain't getting much help over here. Let me try over here. And that he wants to break the bond, he wants to break bondage off of people's life and addiction off of people's lives. He wants to break cycles off of people's lives. And that is the heritage, that is the harvest of the house of the Lord is to see him do his work. And so I'm asking you if you will be praying with me, contend with us. So part of how you do that is you show up, and as I've already said today, you, you, when you're generous and faithful with your resources, how you know that uh, God's kingdom, it does require money to get it into the real world. And I need to let you in on something. No one else in the world is struggling over the idea that we need money to accomplish our objectives. Thank you, Sarah. No one else is struggling with that idea. Can I just be honest with you? Our, the federal government is clearly not struggling over the idea that it needs money to accomplish its, its objective. Uh, maybe y'all aren't paying attention to y'all tax bill. I bet these folks over here, y'all paying attention to your tax bill. You know, they ain't got no problem saying, hey, we need some money so we can do the things that we need to do. And whether they do it or not, that's questionable. We'll save that for another day. But how many know the Muslims are not struggling over we need resources to do the things that we want to do? When they went to build their church in Jerusalem, they said, we're going to gold plate the roof of it. How much is it going to cost? Hundreds of millions of dollars. And guess what they did? They said, we're going to get out our checkbooks because we want our God to have a gold roof on his temple. Are y'all okay? I told you. We're coming full force today. Nobody else is struggling over that. Have you, been, have you seen the Vatican? You ever seen that place? I'm pretty sure it is, might be the most rich, richest place in the world in the sense of there are treasures and relics in that place that the value just can't be measured. There is no actual measurement, in my opinion, of probably what that place is worth. They got no problem saying, hey, we want our God, we want God to have all these things. So guess what? When it comes time for harvest, what do we got to think? I'm going to give and I'm going to do all that my Lord requires of me to see his mission accomplished and to see his purposes established. But guess what else we're believing for as we pray? We're believing for people to find new life in God's freedom, a new life, a new walk with Christ. And so I'm believing that God's going to bring us the new believer, the de-churched or the unchurched. You know who I love? I absolutely love backsliders. 
because someone else has already done a little bit of the legwork for us. They already believe they were just dropped, fractured, damaged, and broken. And guess what? I love to see people brought back to the Father's house, back to the Father's table, people that they feel like maybe I'm a runaway son, I messed up, or people rejected me. I love to make a seat for them right beside the king and say, come back, son, come back, daughter. The Father never wanted you to leave. He wants you sitting right here beside him at his table. I'm getting excited all by myself. And so this word that I have to share with us today, I believe that it is an encouraging word for us and that the purpose of it is to encourage us and that when we exercise and activate this principle that we can redeem the past, secure the present, and help to create our future. I'm going to say that again because that's pretty good medicine for me. It's going to redeem the past, secure our present, and help us to create our future. And some of you are saying, well, what is it? Because you've got me sold right there. I want to know what is it that you're talking about. I want to talk to you today just briefly about the principle of gratitude. The principle of gratitude. Elbow your neighbor a little bit. Make sure they're awake and say the principle of of gratitude. I need to let you know today that there is great power in your free will. What is free will? It's your ability to choose. Your ability to choose. And so many times as human beings, this is one of our flaws, is we wait until we feel a feeling before we move or before we act or before we decide. But if we fall into this habit, in this way of thinking, this way of choosing, then here's what happens. We find ourselves a slave to our emotions, a slave to our desires. And if I can be so bold, sometimes we find ourselves a slave to our own pain and that I can't move or go or choose freely. I'm actually being held captive. I believe that when Jesus says, I've come to bring freedom and I've come to set people free that are in captivity, I believe one of the things he's talking about setting you free from are not just literal prison cells. I believe he wants to set you free from being a slave to your broken emotions. <clears throat> and so our choices are made real in this way. Choice always begins in the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Guard your heart for from it flow the issues of life and so if your heart's all messed up guess what no matter how much you may say well I think I can do better if the heart's messed up we're going to wind up making bad choices and so here is what's so powerful is that by making choices you can use a broken thing to sometimes fix the broken thing We'll save that for another day. And so when you make a choice that boils out from your heart, guess what you do? You express that choice. And so what am I talking about? Many of us in here today are saved and born again. What happened on that day when you became born again on the inside and God took away your old sin nature and he now gave you the nature of his son Jesus? What did you do? You chose to believe as an expression of that choice. You prayed a prayer. And you said, Lord, I believe, I choose to believe that you are the king of the universe and that your son Jesus came and died for me and has forgiven me and washed me clean from all of my sin. 
And so I want to confess you as Lord, and I want to live like you are Lord the rest of my life. Sometimes you feel a great feeling. Sometimes you don't. The truth is it doesn't matter what you felt. It matters that you chose it and you expressed it. It's one thing for you to say, I love my wife. I love her so much. It doesn't matter a whole lot until you start expressing that towards her. I know there's a lot of parents out there and we say, man, I love them little babies that the Lord gave me. They're so precious or whatever your description for your babies are, but I love them so much. But how do you know? We have to get that feeling. We have to get that expression out into the real world. I have to show them. I have to say it and I have to show it. And so something that I'm talking about is that it's not enough for us to think we feel gratitude in our heart for all that the Lord has done. We have to express the choice of gratitude that says, Lord, sometimes even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to choose to be grateful. Sometimes, I'm going to be real, sometimes you want to cuss and curse but how I many know you have to choose that instead I'm going to speak life and blessing? It's not about what I feel. Sometimes it's about the choice and the expression that we allow to come out of our mouth. What's my proof of this? Proverbs 18 and 21 says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. I want to make a clear distinction here. Many times we think this. We think that life has power and we think that death has power. Whichever one we're feeling at the moment tends to be what comes out of our mouth. But this is backwards from what the scripture is trying to teach us. The scripture is saying this. That by what you choose to let come out of your mouth, you can have life or you can have death. The power of those is not out there somewhere. The power of life and death is right here. Whichever one you choose to speak is what you will give life to. And the scripture says, whichever one you love, if you love life, you'll eat its fruit. If you love death, you'll eat its fruit. Y'all tracking with me? Is everybody okay? It sure is quiet in this Episcopalian church this morning. And so as we're thinking about gratitude, we must and we have to take into account this reality, is that life can be unpredictable. Bad things happen to good people, period. It's true. Let's quit dancing around it and let's quit calling it faith and, and refusing to say it. By somehow, if I don't admit it, then it's not true. Let's just admit it out loud and let's say, there are things that happen in this world that I can't explain. Did you know that since 2020, more Americans have taken their life than any other time in history? Whether by direct suicide or drug overdose, just in the past year alone, 160,000 Americans have taken their own life. That's a big number. Can I just be honest? That makes 9-11 look like a Girl Scout cookie raffle. What are we saying? There are people that they're hurting. They're struggling. They're captive. They're prisoners. They're stuck in painful cycles. We have to take into account that these feelings we feel are real. 
feelings do matter. But feelings will not always tell you the truth. A good way to interpret your feelings are like this. Imagine that you're on the battlefield of Gettysburg. Now, I'm a history buff, so you can say that to me, and my mind's eye comes alive. But imagine, if you will, if you're on a hilltop somewhere in the trees, and you're a general. And down below you is cannon fire, mortar fire, and musket fire. Simply means this, lots of gunpowder, lots of smoke. The music of the Confederate Army is playing, trying to keep them organized. The music of the Union Army is playing, trying to keep them organized. And guess what? All of that is overpowered by men screaming and hollering. Go here, do this, do that. Watch out over there. Total chaos. And so the only way for you to really know what's going on, because you can't see, you can only see little bits of truth here and there, because so, the battlefield is so obscure. And your feelings are like a trusted rider. And you say, hey, ride down there and go see what's happening and then come back and tell me. But have you know that by the time he rides down there, hopefully he's not shot and killed. And then by the time he gets back, what has most likely happened? The situation has changed before he can even get back to you. And so he himself is providing twisted or biased information. Have you know that that's how our feelings work? Sometimes they can give us an impression of what's real, but most of the time, 99% of the time, your feelings are not going to tell you truth for truth. Because when we go through difficulties in life and we're saying, well, you're trying to tell me to be gracious and, or to, to have an attitude of gratitude, but maybe I got laid off this week. Maybe my baby got sick and this actually happened to me this week. My air conditioner went out. Oh, come on now, y'all. Listen, I started repenting because I went, Lord, this is a hot day on earth. Don't even get me close to hell. I can't handle hell. I got to go to heaven. It was 80 degrees in my house at 3 o'clock in the morning Wednesday night, and I said, God, I repent. Wash me clean. Don't let me, near, don't let me go to hell, Lord. And so I had the repairman come, and he says, guess what, old boy? It ain't just your condenser that's broke. It's the, fan the coil up in the attic is broke, too, so you're going to have to get the whole new system. Oh, God. I felt that in my feeler. You know what? We paid a bunch of bills at the church this week. You don't know how much money I spent this week. You don't know. And so guess what? My heart was going... Forget this. This ain't the plan of God. God has abandoned us. Sell the thing, pack up, and go to Missouri. Go do something else. That's what your feelings will tell you. Because your feelings is looking at a number. Your feelings is looking at a piece of the puzzle. And so your feelings will tell you things like, be afraid. The enemy's all around you. But how you know the scripture says this, that God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so when there's difficulty going on in the world, my feelings will tell me you don't have what it takes. But the scripture says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so I may not have what it takes, but the one who lives on the inside of me, he always has 
what it takes. My feelings will go and look and they come back and they say, you have failed. It's too late. But the scripture says this, that in my weakness, God's strength is perfected. And that means this, that it is never too late for God to work in my life. And it's never too late for God to do what he said he was going to do. When we're thinking about gratitude, we cannot allow our feelings to dictate to us what the truth of our life is going to be. So a couple things I want to teach you about gratitude is that gratitude closes doors. Hmm, that's interesting to me. Now, we all have a tricky past. All of us have things we don't want people to know. Skeletons in the closet, if you will. But gratitude, by definition, is this, the quality of being thankful and a readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. And so I would say this, that even if you have a bad past, there is something for you to be grateful for. I'm going to say that again. You need to hear what I just said because listen to what Jesus likes to do. If you stay a prisoner to the pain of your past, you become a victim. And when Jesus promised, I come to set at liberty them that are captive, here's what that promise means, is that if I set you free, you can't be a victim anymore. Because now I'm here, I'm going to take you out of victimhood, and I'm going to take you into victory. Because even what maybe mom and daddy botched, I'm going to come and fix it. And so their failure is going to be my victory. That is redemption by definition. And so here's what you need to know is this, is that gratitude says this, is that even if I was abandoned, I grew up on the street, I grew up in a home, I grew up having to steal in order to eat. I grew up having to cheat in order to have a little money in my pocket, or I had to maybe do other unspeakable things. Here's what you can be grateful for. I'm still alive. I'm still alive. Because there's so many that was out there with me that they dead. Oh, I'm not getting much help like I thought I was going to get. I'm not going to lie a little disappointed right there. I'm still alive. I've got breath in my lungs and I've got enough sanity in my mind that I can choose that even when I don't feel like it, Lord, I'm going to worship you. Lord, thank you for finding me. Lord, thank you for saving me. Mom and Daddy didn't give a flying flip about me, but God, you managed to get me to right here. God, I am grateful that I got breath in my lungs. I can move my legs and that I can work my arms. Lord, I'm grateful that I have a job and that I have means. Even if I'm the lowest man in the company, Lord, I'm grateful that you made something for me we have a tricky past how do I close the door on a difficult past I become grateful for the things that I do have and so you may grow up and you may have grown up and said I didn't have any family you can be grateful for this that God in me will teach me how to be a parent he will teach me how to be an auntie an uncle a big brother a big sister and that maybe I didn't have a family but that God will give me one and he'll help me to love them that he puts in my life and just because I never had love growing up does now I have the love of God and I can give people something far better than what I was given 
Gratitude helps you to close the door on the past. And sometimes gratitude is saying, I'm just grateful I made it. I'm just grateful I made it. A good way to close the door on the past is by expressing gratitude for those little things that you do have. And so let me say this about gratitude for us as believers and for those that we are a spiritual people. We have, our lives are rooted in the spiritual truth of our Heavenly Father. Here's what gratitude is saying. It's looking into difficult situations, less than perfect circumstances, and gratitude will find the fingerprints of God. And that even in the midst of great difficulty, God was faithful in there. Look at how he kept me. Look at how he provided for me. And so I've never cashed a check that said, made to the order of Jordan, signed by Jesus Christ. Have you? No? You haven't either? Have you ever sit down at your dinner table and unpackaged a meal and said, oh, they sent this from heaven. Uber Eats run up to heaven and went and got this for me. No. But here is what I have had. I have been down to my last $10, and the Lord convict my heart and altar and say, I want you to give me that $10. And I go, but Lord, I ain't even going to have no money to eat lunch today. And he says, no, I want you to give the $10. I give the $10, and he probably don't remember this, but Joey Hughes said, let me take you to lunch today. And I went... There's my meal right there. I had somebody take me out for lunch every day the next week. And so it didn't say Jesus Christ on the check. But look, gratitude says God made a way through people so that I could have my McDonald's for lunch. The gratitude lets me look and see, look at God was moving on my behalf all the, all the, all the while. And so here's what begins to happen is that when you can see God moving in little ways, he who's faithful with little will be faithful with much. And so that's why gratitude has great power to begin writing what your future is going to look like is because the scripture says God is up in heaven above and his eyes search to and fro across the whole earth looking for someone whose heart is fully towards him. And so when you're grateful for those little things, God starts looking. He says, oh, you see right there? You see right there? He was grateful for a happy meal. He was grateful for a happy meal. He was grateful for when somebody put $10 gas in his gas tank. He was grateful when somebody gave him a jacket when it was cold outside. See, he's, he's faithful with the little things. And so now guess what God gets to do? Your gratitude has opened a door now for God to get involved in your life. And he's watching you be faithful with little. And he says, now let me start giving you some much. Let me start giving you some much. And as you stay faithful, you start looking around one day, and now you ain't begging for somebody to take you to McDonald's. Now you're the one buying the McDonald's. So I don't know about you. I want to be the kind of son that I'm not waiting on somebody to bail me out. I want to be the kind of son that when I see a need in my life, when I see a need in my family's life, I don't have to say, God, what do you want to do? I just have to say, God, give me the means, and I'll be the one to go meet the need. I'll buy the McDonald's. I'll buy the gas. I'll buy the coat. Lord, blessed me when I had nothing. Gratitude in my heart says, now, Lord, use me to be the one who meets the need. Oh, but so now we're getting into a mature level of gratitude that is born out of a sonship mentality and attitude, out of a kingdom mentality and attitude. Because mature gratitude says this, 
when the Lord fed me, oh, I was grateful. When I couldn't pick myself up, somebody come along and help me. When I was lonely, God brought somebody into my life. And there's things like that you don't ever forget. And so when I come into his house, guess what I'm not going to do? I won't be silent. I won't be silent. See, I'm real, I'm real tempted to have, to, to have church right there, and we might do that again here in a second, but I need you to really hear what I just said. Because I am grateful for those little things, when I come into his house, I won't be silent. I won't be silent. Gratitude don't do you no good, you keep it all to yourself. You know what I want the gate church altar to be saturated in? Gratitude. Gratitude. I want when the Lord looks down from heaven at 7,700 and he spies with his little eye, I want him to look and see, look at them grateful people down there. They're grateful for Big Macs and they're grateful for big business deals. They're so grateful everything I give them, they're grateful for. And that they may have a 35-year-old building, but they're still grateful for it. They may be a few cracks in the parking lot, but look, but we can pack that parking lot with people. So, Lord, it may be not the perfect parking lot, but, Lord, I'm grateful that you can, I can pack a thousand cars on this 35 acres right here. Lord, I'm grateful that you've given us room to grow. See, when you start, being gra- when you start having gratefulness in your heart, what, what was heavy starts to become light. Mature sonship starts to recognize that gratitude blesses things that are less than. Trusting that the blessing will turn it into more than enough. 5,000 people, five loaves and two fishes. And he blessed it. And he broke it. I ain't got time to unpack that. I wish I could. I wonder what the five loaves and two fishes are in your life that the Lord is waiting on you to quit cursing the house that you have, the car that you have, the job that you have. Quit cursing the marriage that you have. Quit cursing the kids that you have and start being grateful and blessing it, saying, I know it ain't perfect, but that's the woman that you gave me. I know it ain't perfect, but that's the house that you gave me. And I wish I made a little bit more, but that's the job that you gave me. And Lord, she's a beater, but she gets me from A to B. Lord, I'm going to be grateful for that car that you gave me. Lord, I'm going to start blessing the things that I do have because it's not about what it is now. It's about what the blessing can turn it into. There's somebody, you keep waiting on a Holy Ghost lottery check to come in the mail, and I'm sorry to bust your bubble, it ain't coming. Heaven is waiting on you to start looking at what you do have, and He wants you to start blessing what you do have. Oh, well, I want, my, I, I want to bless my boss. Start showing up early. Start showing up prepared for the staff meeting. Come with a good attitude. Don't nitpick every little decision that the manager makes. And start showing, instead of saying, give me a raise, start asking the manager, how can I help you succeed? How can I help this business succeed? How can I help us get to the next level? You need me to run a mop? I'm the best little mopper in town. I wish somebody would help me preach. Eddie Murphy about to help me preach. Anybody ever seen Coming to America? He wanted a queen, but he is willing to work a mop. 
I wish there were some faith-filled, spirit-filled believers would have the kind of faith that Eddie Murphy had and say, I want the big thing, but I'm willing to bless and let God use me in the little thing because I'm grateful for the job I do have. Lord, if that made the bishop mad, I preached about Eddie Murphy, you tell him. We love him. <clears throat> now, if you don't mind, I'd like to read a passage of scripture if my band will come. This comes from the book of Acts. Really excited. We're going to be in the book of Acts in September, and I'm just here to tell you, you don't want to miss it. You just don't. That's my advertisement, my trailer. Oh, man, Paul and Silas, these two boys right here, they're hard to handle. And so they're on their journey teaching the gospel. They were preaching the gospel. And uh, there's this girl who's filled with a spirit, an evil spirit. And that evil spirit is like a familiar spirit, and these people were controlling her. And so they were kind of like pimps in a way. They're controlling this little girl, and they would get her to tell fortunes. And in this time in history, that was a big deal. That's a big moneymaker. And so this little girl is following Paul and Silas around, just harassing, doing what evil spirits do, just making a mess. And Paul kind of gets aggravated. He's trying to eat his lunch. And he hollers around at that spirit and said, You be quiet, you hush, and come out of her. That's how I imagine he said it. I don't know if that's how he said it. That's just how I imagine it. Well, the spirit left, and we'll save this one for another day, but the people didn't mind that these two boys was preaching, but what they did mind was when the gospel started touching on their pocketbook. Mm, I told you, I'm tempted, but we're going to save that one for another day. Well, so here's what happened. These guys who are making money off of her, they go to the local magistrate. They go to the sheriff, and they say these boys right here are causing a disturbance we want them locked up so sure enough Paul and Silas locked in jail verse 20 they brought them to the magistrates these men being Jews these men being Jews are exceedingly troubling our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Oh, Lord. We hadn't got to suffering for the gospel yet. We're going to save that one for big boys and big girls. But you better bring your helmet in September because we're going deep on that one. And then they laid many stripes on them, and they threw them into prison commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, the jailer, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Let me give you a bit of imagery here. These guys are just preaching the gospel. They're not hurting nobody. They cast a demon out of this poor girl who's being held captive by that demon and by these evil men that are profiting off of her brokenness. And so any man in the room with a sense of justice is already upset, saying, no, they were looking out for that poor innocent girl who is being taken advantage of. It should be the men who were profiting off of her should be the ones that was in jail. Remember, we said early, earlier that sometimes bad things happen to good people. And so Paul and Silas were stripped naked. 
They were humiliated in the public square. And they were beaten with rods. Now how I interpret rod is like a cane pole or a sapling tree. Carpenters maybe a dowel rod. About this big around and it's flexible but it's strong enough that when they hit you it really hurts but it's flexible enough that it won't break. There's nothing worse than being whipped with rods. And so they'd have been bleeding and big old welts on their back, bruised on their back and the rear end and their legs, just beat all to pieces. They take them and lock them in jail. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listen to, listening to them. Something starts to happen in your life when you arrive at the place of spiritual maturity that says this, I may be locked up, I may be restricted, people have rejected me and punished me for doing what I knew my God told me to do. I am locked in somebody else's filth with chains around my ankles, but I will not be silent. Something in your life starts to change from the inside out when you decide this, it doesn't matter what people do to me. It doesn't matter what life tries to take from me. You will not take my gratitude. You will not take my heart of thankfulness. You will not take my heart of worship. And I may have chains around my feet, but I'm going to open my mouth because I know my God always hears me. I'm going to lift my voice in song when I'm bruised and when I'm broken because there's nothing that's going to steal gratitude from me. Suddenly, suddenly, while they were singing, suddenly, how do you know that sometimes that's how the things of the Spirit work? Nothing, 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 then suddenly, boom, bang, there it comes. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. I need to let you know today that when you start praising, when you start praying, when you start singing, you won't just set yourself free, you might start setting your family free. You didn't get no help over there. You might start setting your wife free, your babies free, your husband free, auntie, grandma. You they ain't no telling who you'll set free. You be a person of gratitude and go into your business and you start watching employees get set free. The boss man set free. The manager set free. That's the power of gratitude. It doesn't just free you. It starts freeing everybody around you. Now hear this, and we're going to go home. How did God do it? How did he do it? What actually happened? The earth started to tremble. The earth started to shake at two men's gratitude, thankfulness, and humility. 
the earth started to shake. I come here today to declare this word over somebody's life. You have been silent for too long. You have thought there was nothing to be grateful for because how is God going to do this in my life? How's he going to do the supernatural in my life? Somebody needs to hear what Lords and the fullness thereof. I come to declare over somebody today that you've been saying, how's he going to do it? Where's it going to come from? How's it going to be enough? I hear the Lord saying over the people of the gate church today, I'm going to show you that all the world belongs to me and that I'll shake it, I'll rumble it, I'll cause it to tremble because I will see to it that you have all that you need. Come on, is there anybody in here that'll say, Lord, I believe that you'll do it. Come on, is there anybody that's grateful at the gate church today? Is there anybody who's grateful that he's kept you and watched for you? Come on, is anybody grateful for how he's provided for you?